what have you lost that was precious to you? When we think of things that we lost, sometimes we think of things on, on one level. They're, they're the immediate things that are right in front of us. They're important to us, maybe not precious, but you lose your keys, you lose your wallet, you lose your phone, and that's pretty significant. You're pretty undone by that, but let's talk about some other losses as well. Have any of you lost property? Property that was in your family that seemed like it would be in your family for generations, and then you lost it. I've experienced that loss of a particular and precious piece of property that I thought was going to be in the family for generations and was lost out of the family. Have you lost friendships? Have you lost loved ones? I'm going to note this today because of the particular day it is. This Sunday last year, I preached on Job chapter 1. It was the day that my sister died, uh, 15 minutes before the service. What have you lost that was precious to you, that seems to you to be irreplaceable? Well, the passage today is about redemption, about sweet redemption. Something has been lost, and it has left Naomi and Ruth empty, saddened, impoverished. Ruth has left her land. She's left her family. She's lost her husband. Naomi, as we know, has been embittered, impoverished. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. And she's about to lose her land, the land that was hers to sell because of the fact that it belonged to Elimelech. She's lost her past. She's lost her present. And she has no grandchildren, and she's about to sell this land. She's losing her future as well. She's lost everything. But it is a story of redemption. It is a story of recovery and a story of restoration of that which was lost. Restoration not only of that which was lost, but in fact receiving more than what you lost or thought you lost in the first place. Neither Naomi nor Ruth are able to pay the price required to repair the rips and the tears that have gone through their lives. Neither of them are able to pay the price required to restore the relationships that have been lost. But, as it turns out, there is a Redeemer. And he has all that is requisite to redeem that which they have lost. The Redeemer liveth. And that which has been lost, he is able to restore. That which has been severed, he is able to reconnect. And he is able, and he is willing. And this Redeemer is ready to do exactly that. So what I want to do today as we look at this text is follow the trail of redemption in the text, looking at what 
gets redeemed progressively that we see in our text today. As we begin that, the first thing that we're going to notice that gets redeemed is the land, redemption of the land. Boaz, as, we, as he said he would, as Naomi knew he would, he's going to take care of the matter today, that is the matter concerning Ruth and concerning what to do with this other kinsman redeemer. And so he goes to the gate, to the business place of the city, where he calls out to this nearest relative as he sees him pass by, this redeemer, this man who is nameless, who effectively in the book is Mr. Such-and-Such, such, Mr. So-and-So, uh, Joe Schmo is the redeemer. He's unknown. He has no name. And Boaz calls and says, come, let's talk about this situation that we have here. And Boaz brings up for us what is a hitherto unknown part of this story. So we haven't been in on the discussions about the selling of the land that belonged to Elimelech. So far, we don't know about that. But that is what Boaz brings up in this setting. Naomi is impoverished. She's going to have to sell this land. And it is hard, I think, for us to imagine the significance of this for her, the significance of it for an Israelite who, have gained, who has gained possession of the land that actually belongs to God. So that's what the scriptures try to make abundantly clear, that God is the one who owns the land. And yet, as the people have gone into the land, he has given to each of them, to each of the tribes, and then to within the tribes, the families within the tribes, a particular portion of the land that belongs to them, that they are to steward under him. It is their inheritance. And so, having lost her husband, and then having lost her sons without grandsons, as she is getting ready to sell this parcel of land, it is quite literally all that she has left. She doesn't have anything else. There are no other resources that she possesses other than this land that belongs to Elimelech. And this is for her the last straw. I'm going to get rid of this land. But God has made provision for cases like this, as we read earlier in the passage of Leviticus that Rex read for us earlier. God has envisioned situations like this that come up and has made provision. Boaz offers the land to the Redeemer as his by way of, you have the right of first refusal. You are the nearest relative. Let's, let's keep this parcel of land within the family. Let's not have Naomi go off and sell it to somebody outside the family. Let's do what we ought to do, do what you have the prerogative to do as the nearest relative, purchase this piece of land and thus secure it within the family itself. Now, I think that this is a clever thing for Boaz to do. Imagine had he led off with his desire to have Ruth be his wife and had asked that question first. Had he led with that, he could have been accused of hiding the fact 
that there was actually a land grant involved in this process. In other words, that there was money to be made. He could have been accused of obscuring that. You know, I'm not really interested in the land. I'm actually interested in this woman. But you, you, you could have thought, no, what you really wanted was the land. So by being forthright, by being honest, by, if you will, putting, putting the profits right up front to say, this is what we're talking about, you nearest relative redeemer, he keeps himself from suspicion that is there. But of course, there's a catch, and that'll come up in just a moment. And this story, as it, you know, I'm, I know we know it, and I know I've even just read it, and you've read it before. But if you can imagine hearing the story for the first time, you're kind of waiting there with, with bated breath, and, and you want to hear what is he going to say to this offer from Boaz to buy the land. And he replies to our dismay that he will, in fact, redeem it. It's a nice bit of profit for him. It's extra land. He's going to get extra harvest. He's not going to have to pay a lot for it. There's a lot to be said for purchasing this land from Naomi. It gives him a good reputation in the town for being a guy who's done the right thing, the upstanding thing, taking care of the widow Naomi. So he says, hey, this is a good opportunity. Land at a cheap price, and I'm going to get to farm this land. But that aside for just a moment, there's a simple idea here of this land being a blessing. God redeems this land. God has set up a way for land to be redeemed. God loves the land. God loves to take care of his people through the land. God loves the earth that he has created in order to be a place where men and women can work and find their sustenance and where they can worship and enjoy him. And now, Naomi's land, or Elimelech's land, if you will, was almost lost. It was almost out of the family, but now with the Redeemer's statement, I will redeem it, one way or another, the land has been secured. The land has been redeemed. It was almost lost, but now it's protected, whether by the unknown person or by Boaz himself. Redemption of the land. Secondly, what we have here is redemption of a family or redemption, at least, of the name of a family. Redeemers had various responsibilities that were articulated in the law of God. One of them was the land, as we've just seen. And another, as we read in the Deuteronomy passage, related to the family itself, to children of the family, to the name of the one who was deceased. Now, as we know, there are two widows who are continuing in our passage, in our story, and they have no progeny, no children that have come from them. The names, therefore, of Elimelech and of Mahlon, Ruth's former husband, are threatened with extinction, with going out, with being no longer remembered in Israel. But God has made provision for this as well. It is the responsibility of the Redeemer to provide a child 
to redeem the name of the deceased and to provide for continuity of the family name, the family line, and of the family inheritance. Verse 5 makes this clear. Boaz makes this clear to the man. You also are going to need to acquire Ruth the Moabite in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Okay, so the, the family and the land are fused here together. You're going to perpetuate the name of the dead. Or in verse 10, I have bought to be my wife, Ruth the Moabite, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brother, brothers and from the gate of his native place. Thus, this person, this character, this redeemer, this position, this office of being a redeemer has a couple of perspectives on it. It is, he is acting within the present, whether it's with relationship to, in this case, a widow or to the land itself. He has a responsibility to act in the present, but his responsibility lies because of the past, because of what has taken place, in this case, the death of the father-in-law and her husband, and Ruth's husband. And the Redeemer has a responsibility to look to the future as well and to create continuity in possession of the land in the name of this person in Israel where it had threatened to be broken and cut off forever. Redemption reconnects severed lines and a name that would otherwise disappear. And if you just want to put this, the land and poverty cannot stop redemption from taking place. Death cannot stop redemption from taking place. Redemption takes place within poverty, within loss and death taking place. It is something to perpetuate. So Boaz springs the news about Ruth. We don't know how in the world he didn't know this particular piece of the puzzle, but he didn't. He springs this news on the unnamed redeemer saying you have to acquire, which is to say you have to purchase Ruth the Moabite with the land. And you, I mean, it's pretty clear here, we only get it in a verse, but you don't have to imagine much to, to, to see the wheels start to turn really quickly in this guy's mind going, wait a minute, I thought this was clear, I thought it was precise, I thought it was simple, I thought this was a property deal. You know, you, you, you buy the property free and clear, and as it turns out, there's a pretty big encumbrance that lies on the property itself, not just the family who's going to get it back at some point, even in a more specific way, but, in fact, uh, there's a woman, a Moabite, who comes along with this entire thing. And what he sees, and we don't need to go into or to try to figure out all of the complexities of this, what he realizes is that in acquiring Ruth the Moabite and in providing, through Ruth the Moabite, an heir for Elimelech who would reacquire this land particularly, that is going to jeopardize his own inheritance. It's going to make the lines unclear 
for that property, for his property, for his children. And, and it doesn't take much to imagine this. Anybody who has gone through an estate, their parents' estate, knows how complicated and how difficult things can get with inheritances really quickly. Even among cases where there's been no divorce, where there's no stepchildren, where there's no half-brothers and half-sisters, you throw into that equation a complication and you can easily imagine how it gets very difficult and how you go, okay, who gets what in terms of an inheritance? Well, he sees, this, this no-named person sees that in fact that danger exists for him and he doesn't want any part of that. He doesn't want any part of that for his children. He doesn't want any part of that for himself, for his family. He wants nothing to be jeopardized. And so, and so, having seen it, he will back away. By the way, we probably need to say something to clarify the language here of acquiring and of purchasing. It's one thing for us to hear language like that applied to land. We're used to that kind of language. But when we hear it applied to Ruth, a woman, a person, then it's immediately distasteful to us. We think, did you just treat Ruth like property? Like she gets thrown in with the deal. Like she's another, she's just something on the property. And you get this as well as getting that. While that terminology is distasteful to us, let's at least remember this. It clearly wasn't distasteful to them. Nobody found it distasteful here. The idea that is being put forward here is the land, the wife, the children, the inheritance, all of these are the most precious things in life. The things you value more than anything else, the things that you will give anything to secure those things. So if we think or if we hear the language of purchase as somehow diminishing value, in fact, it's the opposite of that. And, and if, if that needs further explanation, then remember that what God has done is he has purchased us. He has redeemed us. He has made Israel his treasured possession, and then he has made us his treasured possession. And the cost to do that was, of course, the blood of the Redeemer, the blood of his son. So with that, Francis, don't, even though it sounds odd to us, don't misunderstand the purchase language there to be a diminishment. It is, it is a preciousness that is being described here. The point is this. The cost is too high for the would-be redeemer. And so the peak of the narrative tension is past when he makes the statement, I cannot redeem it. And at that point, we let out our breath. We say, Phew, that was close. That was close. It almost seemed like what had been ordained by God, these two people coming together, wasn't going to happen, but it did. So redemption of the land, redemption of a family. Third, redemption of a soul. Boaz completes the transaction. And with it, Ruth is redeemed. As a daughter of Bethlehem, as a child of Israel, Ruth had married Mahlon. But she had married Mahlon, and that's obscure in chapter 1. It's outside the land. She had 
declared to Naomi that your God will be my God, but now she is formally received as a citizen, as a member of the household of faith. She's formally received as the wife of Boaz, as one who now belongs to the family and the household of Israel. And upon her are placed in blessing, and, and this is easy for us just to read and read quickly through it, but just pause to think of how incredible this is. Upon her in blessing, blessing are placed the name of Rachel and Leah. May, may this young woman be like Rachel and Leah, who are the mothers of Israel. Right? They're the ones from whom all of the tribes descended. You can't get much more included than that than to have those two names laid upon you in blessing to be like that. The Moabite widow has been gathered in through the Redeemer to the people of God. Fourth, you've got the redemption here of a community. We've seen redemption of the land, of a family, and of an individual. But now we broaden to the community of Bethlehem as a whole. As in a Greek drama, what takes place now in Ruth chapter 4 is that a chorus comes onto the scene. Now, we've heard this chorus before. The first time that we heard this chorus was when Naomi and Ruth came back into Bethlehem, and the people kind of ask, is that Naomi? Things look like they have gone really bad, and she speaks to the chorus. Don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. Call me Mara, because my life has been as it has been. But here the chorus comes in again and reminds us that what may seem to us to be simply a story of individuals, because you can look at this and go, okay, this is a story of Ruth, a story of Naomi, and a story of Boaz, is actually the story that is bigger than that of a family. It is the story not only of the three that I just mentioned, but it is the story of Elimelech, of Mahlon, and even of Chilion as well. It's the story not only of three individuals, but it's the story of a family, but in fact, it is also the story of a community. Now, by the way, it's the story of Israel and it's the story of the world as well, but we'll leave that aside just for a moment. The story of a community, it is the story of a community the little town of Bethlehem. So in verse 2, when Boaz goes to the gate and he calls over the Redeemer, he also assembles 10 of the elders saying, come over here and sit down as well. In verse 9, Boaz addresses the elders and all the people, meaning that certainly a crowd has gathered at this point. Everybody wants to see what's, what's happening right now. It seems very official. It seems like something's going on. A crowd gathers around, and Boaz addresses all of them. Verse 11, having addressed them, having called them to be witnesses, we hear this response, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. We are part of what is taking place here. It's not taking place in private. We're not at the threshing floor. We're at the gate of the city. 
where things are public and things are part of the community and the community is taking its official function. And of course, as you go to the last section then of our story, we move into the women who come there in verse 14, the women saying to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And in verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. Redemption is lodged in community. Redemption takes place in community, inseparably from the life of a community. It is not only a private affair. The community of faith is blessed by what is taking place. What is taking place in this union is going to have, as we know, ramifications for Bethlehem. We're going to know, we know of Bethlehem because of what is taking place here. The, the community of Bethlehem is blessed because of this. Now, they're going to be blessed immediately as well because there are going to be more people now in Bethlehem. There's going to be a peace. You ever have any of the houses in your neighborhood where they've been foreclosed on and nobody's taking care of them? What does, the, what does the place look like? What does it do to your property value when that starts taking place? Well, the community is going to be blessed because now this particular place is going to be taken care of by a man and a woman who we know to be incredibly worthy, incredibly industrious and hardworking. The community will be blessed by having this family and the children who God willing will come from them as part of the community. Bethlehem will be blessed, and Bethlehem takes on the role of blessing. The community is blessed by the presence of the individual and the individual family, and the community blesses the individual and the individual family as well, blesses them in redemption, which, let me make this connection, because it's right there, and I hope you're thinking this, but let me just spell it out which is why you're gathered here today. Because the community has an official function to do. We are witnesses. We come to bless. You're here together as a community to bless the people who are around you and to be blessed as the Lord brings his word to us as his people. This is why when people join the church and become members of the church, though that is a function that takes place with the session, it is, a, it is a function which then takes place publicly so that in effect what happens, whether you're talking about an adult professing faith or baptism, what you are doing is saying, we are witnesses. We've heard the testimony. We are witnesses. The Lord bless you in this and take place. Redemption resides in community. Not in just being off on your own. Not in just me and it's God. It's part of being lodged within a community. Redemptive blessing and responsibility and loyalty, they are all expressed within a community. This is a small story of redemption. It is a small story of redemption and that is all that Boaz and Ruth and Naomi know. That is all they know. I try, well, I've just read it. Our author 
and we know where this story goes. In fact, we know, we know better than the author now where this story goes. He knows it when he writes it. But imagine their lives, just to say it. They don't know that David is coming out of this. They don't know that Israel's king is coming out of this. They obviously don't know that Israel's Messiah is coming out of this. They just know that we're called on to be responsible within this community, to exercise redemption within this community, to follow the law of God faithfully within this community. But this little story in this little town is the acorn that becomes the oak. It is the story of Israel. It is the story of the world also. All right. Land, family, soul, community, fifth and finally. This is the story of the redemption of all that is good and all that is sweet. Remember, I've tried to say this throughout. Remember, this is the time of the judges. And it's ugly and it stinks. It's awful. And Israel is anything but good and sweet. You gotta look far and wide. You gotta turn over every rock to find something good and sweet in Israel during the time of Israel. Well, the rock's turned over. Here it is. This is what's good and sweet in the midst of that time. How can you not imagine smiling, crying, when that baby is placed in Naomi's arms. Remember her words. God has brought me back empty. He sent me away with husband and sons, and he's brought me back empty. I have nothing in my hands. He dealt bitterly with me. He testified against me. He brought calamity on me. That was her testimony when she walks into Bethlehem or back into Bethlehem. Oh, Naomi, what would you say now? What do you say on this day when your arms are full? You have seen, Naomi, your children's children. Peace be upon your household. Son, has been born to Naomi. The Lord guided through the dark way. The Lord sustained through Ruth, who loves you. The Lord provided the Redeemer in Boaz. The Lord gave conception. The Lord has now made this son to be your son, to be counted as your son, not only your grandson, to be your son your redeemer, your restorer, your nourisher. Redemption restores to the present and to the hope all that is good and sweet and true and worthy. And that is why even the most hard-hearted person, when they see the birth of one of their children, breaks down because they see newness come into the world where there has been oldness, and they have hope. And it is why people love Christmas, because the child is born and the son is given. And it seems like there's hope again when the child goes to the mother's arms. Redemption has been purchased 
for Naomi, for the present and for the future. That which was lost and seemingly irrecoverable. Remember, it did not seem to Naomi that there was any way out of this. Ruth, don't come back with me. What have I got? I have nothing. I have nothing to offer you. Don't come back with me. To Naomi, it was irrecoverable, but it has been restored. It has been repaired. It has been reconnected more fully than seemed possible. Perhaps it sounds to you like the end of other biblical stories. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Naomi more than the beginning. Now there's more to say. And what's more to say is much more to say. But we'll get to that next week. For now, rejoice. God redeems through a redeemer. His redemption is sweet in this life and that which is to come. And his redemption is pervasive and it includes land and family, soul, community, and goodness. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for that which you have accomplished, for the sweet redemption that is ours in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that which we have seen with our own eyes in this world of the blessings. And we know yet that this remains a sad world, and so we wait for that which is to come. When the creation itself is redeemed, when we receive the full redemption as sons and daughters and are able to delight fully in your presence. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.